I think some of us were surprised that they got there. Even though part of me, and I tease about that, part of me knows I'm going to make it. Even though there are days, I wonder, but I know I'm going to make it. I have this confidence that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. You don't really have to worry if you're thinking it depends on you alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's our verse. That's in our Bible. And I claim that. It's by his grace. It's by his mercy. It's by his undeserved love for me. Thank you, Jesus. And there, gathered around the throne, having a good time, seemingly unaware that down on earth, things aren't going so well for those that have been left behind. The book of Revelation talks about seals, horsemen, other types of trumpets, and woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Destruction, death, blood. And three interesting characters. A woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars. She gave birth to a man-child that is to rule the nations. And during this tribulation period, she is persecuted and pursued and forced to run into the wilderness where she has a place hidden for three and a half years. This is Israel. And during the tribulation period, that nation of Israel that has been restored during this time of the fig tree is going to be attacked viciously. And so often when we look at the news and we see the nation of Israel and the hatred of the peoples around them and the hatred that is bestowed upon the Jews, the natural descendants of Abraham, understand that it's satanic. Then there's another snapshot that's given of a horrible beast, the kingdom of the Antichrist. And this is a conglomerate of different animals that we study about in the book of Daniel. We're not here to study that, so we're just passing by. But this is the kingdom of the beast. And then there's another girl. She's a prostitute, the Bible says. And she rides another beast. Remember her, because we're going to run into her a little bit later this evening. Keep that image in your mind. A woman of ill repute riding a horrible beast. The question is, where does the rapture fit into the end time prophecies? Now, we've already answered that question for you. I believe fully that it's at the beginning of the book of Revelation before any of this takes place. 
And I think we've shown that by looking at the book of Revelation. But let's look at the rest of the Bible. Jesus gives us an outline on where the rapture fits into end time prophecies. And we find his outline in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. God gave us the Bible the way he did for a purpose. It's not random, haphazard, thrown together here. Good luck with that. There's a reason there are four Gospels. There's a reason that Matthew recorded the words of Jesus outside the temple that day. And there's a reason that Matthew recorded what he did about what Jesus said. But you need to understand, Matthew didn't record everything. Jesus probably talked to his disciples for maybe 15, 20 minutes. But I can read Matthew 24 in about a minute. It's not all there. I go to Luke, and Luke also records what is written what Jesus said that day. But what Luke says is slightly different than what Matthew says. It doesn't contradict, but it fills in the gaps. And when you take a look at Mark and you read his account of that discussion that Jesus had with his disciples, it adds yet further detail. And you know what that tells me I need to do? I need to read them all together. I need to put them down side by side and read them all together. Now, I'm not going to do that here tonight, but a shameless plug for my YouTube. <laughs> I do that for you if you go to my YouTube channel and look it up. You talk to one of your elders, and they'll give you some directions on that. Let's take a look at the highlights. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came unto him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, uh, Tell us, uh, details please, Lord. When shall these things be? What things? Well, what was he talking about? He's talking about the temple. When is the temple going to be destroyed? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Three questions they asked. If we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three answers are given. He answers all three of them. We go to Luke 21, and he answers the question about when is the temple going to be destroyed. Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to see armies surrounding this city. 
it's going to happen that soon. And sure enough, did. The Roman armies came in. Remember, Jesus was crucified by the Romans. The Romans did not like the Jews. And the Jews were considered to be rebellious. And Rome thought that Jesus wanted to be the king. And they nailed over his cross, king of the Jews. And then things didn't get any better in Jerusalem. They got worse. The disciples, and I mentioned this last night, and the followers of Christ in the church in Jerusalem went through some hard times. Paul actually sent money to help them out. But history tells us that when the Romans came to destroy the city, the Christians were all gone. They left. Because Jesus had told them, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, let them which are in Judea flee. Now, this is not complicated. If Jesus tells me, when you see people surrounding your house, sneak out the back door. And then if I look out the window and there are people surrounding my house, I'm going out the back door. That's what they did. They took the words of Jesus literally. Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let not them which are in the countries enter therein too. Now you're supposed to come to Jerusalem to celebrate holy days. Passover, tabernacles, all of these things. But if there's Roman soldiers around the city, you can skip that holiday. That's what he said. You all don't need to go there for that. Don't go to Jerusalem. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Let that sink in. All things which are written are going to be fulfilled, triggered by Jerusalem being destroyed. Woe unto them which are with child, to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, the Jewish people. They, the Jewish people, shall fall by the edge of the sword. They shall be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And we looked at that last night. And it's important to get this into our thinking because this is a... This is a keystone to the whole structure of prophecy. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. I got a little timeline here for you. This is going to help. Jesus talks about that which is written. All things need to be fulfilled. He's talking about the prophet Daniel. Daniel saw through interpretation of a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, that a statue represented empires that were going to rise up during history and exercise dominion over the Jewish people. During the time Daniel was in Babylon, he was a captive because Babylon had captured and took dominion over Israel. It was a judgment. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, you are that head of gold. And after you, there shall arise yet another king 
and it's the Medes and the Persians, and that is the arms in the upper chest of silver. It will exercise dominion over Israel. Israel was allowed to go back to their land after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, but they did not become an independent nation. They were under the Medes and the Persians. After that empire dissolved, another empire came. You've heard of Alexander the Great. Okay, he was a Greek. And he exercised control and dominion over Israel. Antiochus Epiphanes actually went into Jerusalem and desecrated the temple at that time. The Jews did not have independence. They were literally colonized by another nation in their own land. And that is the midsection of brass. It's Greece. Finally, the Romans took control of Israel. This was during the time of Christ. And again, we've already discussed that. You'll notice that the Medes and the Persians were a two-nation unity, two arms. You'll notice that Rome is two legs of iron. Rome was divided into two sections, the Italian Rome and the Rome in Constantinople. The Eastern Empire, the Western Empire. And finally, there is going to be an empire of the feet. Ten toes made of iron and clay. We're not going to go into detail on that. Another prophecy was given in Daniel. It has to do with a calendar. And it's, it's called Daniel's 70 weeks. We're not going to go into detail, but accurately it predicts when Jesus Christ came as the Messiah. When the wise men came from the east, following a star, and they went into Jerusalem, and they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. They asked. They said, Well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We know this stuff. No surprise. And this is actually the year he's supposed to be born. This wasn't done under a bushel. Daniel accurately predicted right to the time of Christ in this calendar prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. 69 periods of seven brought us to the Messiah. And it says in that prophecy that the Messiah would even be cut off and killed, but not for himself. Daniel chapter 9, if you've never read it, get to that book. But one period of seven was left. Undone. And Daniel indicates that this last period of seven years is way off in the future. And so we put it at the end of this timeline. Jesus said that Jerusalem will be trodden down to the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So we've got a line there which corresponds to the statue standing up. That's hard to look at. Let's lay it down. The time of the Gentiles is Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the feet. We've already studied enough of this. The question is, where do we fit in? I believe right here.
right at the end, just before the last seven years, and you'll notice the clock is ticking. We just studied how that Rome would destroy the city of Jerusalem. Well, I got it pointed at Babylon. Let's move that over. Okay. So now we see that Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans during the time of the Iron Legs. Is anybody still with me? I haven't lost you yet. Good. Then we're not going to lose you now. It gets simple. The beast kingdom is the feet. Unfortunately, we've had to cut them off and move them over into the seven years at the end because that's what the Bible does. It puts it way off in the future beyond the time of the Roman Empire. And in between is the time when the Jews are scattered around the world. This is what we see where Israel is scattered across the nations and Israel is restored at the end of that period, and that begins that last generation. Jesus said, the generation that begins to see these things take place will not pass till all things are fulfilled. And so I have that final fig tree generation from 1948 up until the end of the tribulation period. I was born in 1953. Five years after Israel became a nation, I was born. That's my generation. When my generation starts to die off, y'all need to get worried. Unless you're saved. Amen? Because I honestly believe it's that close. My generation will see the coming of the Lord. I believe it. Okay. Then we read, just continue to read. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Jesus had already said, well, the city of Jerusalem is going to get trashed. The Jews are going to get scattered. But the church, what's it going to be like to be in church? Well, there's going to be a lot of people that get offended. Have you ever heard of a Christian being offended? All the time. Have you ever heard of a Christian betraying another Christian? Maybe backsliding and then backstabbing? No, we wouldn't do that. History is filled with that. Those wonderful people that are going to heaven are actually going to hate one another. Have you ever heard of people that believe in the same Bible, that believe in the same Jesus, arguing and fighting and debating with one another? Worse than politics sometimes. Jesus said, that's what it's going to be like. That's, a, that's, a, that's us. That's them. That's all of this. No surprise, Jesus said that's the way it's going to be, and there's going to be false prophets, and they're going to be teaching some bad stuff. There's going to be all sorts of weird teachings, bad doctrines, things that are not correct in the church. None of this should surprise us, but this is what Jesus said it's going to be like. I wish he had said it was going to be just wonderful, and once you get saved, you're going to be happy, happy, happy. It's not that way. you got to watch out for all of this stuff. Because iniquity shall abound. That means people are going to be in sin. 
The love of many shall wax cold. That's what you and I are up against. And so if you've ever gotten offended, if you've ever gotten mad, if you've ever been hurt, if you've ever been into an argument, if you've ever felt cold and you thought about quitting church and going to hell, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's what you're up against. You've got to fight this. Because he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. You got to endure it. You got to deal with it. How often, Lord, do I have to forgive my brother? And I've heard people say, you know, seven times seven, you know, that's 70. That's, the, that's about a year, every day a year, for a year. I've had to put up with this for 50 years. <laughs> and it's all right. People are going to step on my toes. I'm going to step on people's toes. People are going to get upset with me. I'm going to get upset with people. Things are going to happen. But, you know, it doesn't just happen in the church. It happens in your own home. Jesus said that was going to happen too. Yeah. Even if your own household, husbands are going to, oh, I'm meddling now. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Where does the rapture fit into this end time prophecy? Right there. That's the rapture in Matthew 24. What else is the end? The end of what? It's not the end of the world. The world continues. It's not the end of Jerusalem. That got trashed a long time ago. It's the end of what? There's only three questions asked. Jerusalem, when is the Lord coming for his church? And when's the end of the world? It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of Jerusalem. It's the end of the preaching of the gospel. When does the gospel stop being preached? When the church is taken away. And so let's go back to our little timeline. Where do we put the rapture? Right here, Revelation chapter 4. During the fig tree generation, that's where it all takes place. The remaining seven years of this prophecy happens in the final generation. That's the tribulation period. So now we're going to change the format a little bit. And I want to look at some specific things. Understanding the importance of context. The last generation in the parable of the fig tree. Imagine that we're on the freeway and there's a detour. Don't take the detour. Stay straight on the path. That's what this little example is for. The last generation in the parable of the fig tree. So we go back to Matthew 24. I've taken out some of the verses just to crunch together these that are applicable for this discussion. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. The next verse says, When ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. Okay, right after the end of the preaching of the gospel, now he's talking about Daniel the prophet and the Antichrist and something that's going to happen horrible in the temple. 
standing in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. And then, down to verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. That's the return of the Lord at the end of the age. That's the answer to the last question. When is Jerusalem destroyed? When are you coming? And when does the age end? When does the world end after the tribulation? Is that, is that clear at this point? And he said, now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, put it forth leaves, know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Last night we looked at theater seating, thinking of these end time events as like something you would go into a theater to see. The main event, of course, is Israel. The fig tree generation becoming a nation in 1948. But there are other actors on the stage that we need to consider. Russia and Europe play a big part. And when these things start to take place, know where we're at. Islam, high tech. When these things begin to take place, know where we're at. Now, I know there's a lot of people that like to look for end time things. And it's exciting. I be honest with you, but that's not prophecy teaching. That's prophecy speculation. I've seen a lot of wrong things in my 50 years. It doesn't mean that they were incorrect. It, they were not fully baked. Okay? We're just starting to see things, but we don't fully understand what the final results are going to look like. Let's take a look at Russia. Russia is pretty much in the news right now. We read in Ezekiel 38, and I think I've got a pointer here. Is that this little button in the center? I'm going to use that and see if that works. Oh, look. <laughs> We're going to be here for a long time. I love toys. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Russia is in the Bible. I'm against the Ogog chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togoma of the north quarters, all his bands and many people with thee. And we're not going to go into a lot of details on this. I have an ancient map in my collection called the Hereford map. And it shows where Russia is and it calls it Magog. This is not something that we just invented in the last 30, 40 years. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. That it's been understood that this land up here is Magog. And in the end generation, Russia is going to put together a group of nations which are already aligned with Russia today. And they are going to come down into the Middle East. And it's going to create what appears to be a nuclear holocaust.
Now, why would Russia do that? Well, we know right now that Russia is still fighting a war right here in Syria because they're trying to get a foothold into that nation. And we also know that Russia is fighting up here in Ukraine because they're trying to reestablish a foothold in that nation. But if you haven't paid attention during your history, geography classes, this is the Black Sea. Right here is a isthmus or a, a water pass that goes from the Black Sea to the Mediterranean. It's called the Bosporus and the Dardanelles. Russia, the huge country that it is, does not have a warm water port. All of their seaports freeze up in the wintertime, except right here in Crimea. And they're losing it. Now, I'm not going to get into politics. I'm very much in favor of Ukraine retaining their sovereignty. I'll just say that. But if and when Ukraine wins this war and Russia loses its port right here, they've got no way to get their ships into the Mediterranean Sea. The Black Sea Fleet, which is their only fighting naval force in the world is going to be trapped and they're going to have to come out and go somewhere else. And the logical thing would be right here. They have nowhere else to go. It could be that close, brothers and sisters, because it says that Russia at that time is going to move into that area and it describes a nuclear holocaust. But that is found in the book of Revelation as well as the book of Ezekiel after the rapture. It could be that close. It could be that close. Now, I, I'm not trying to put any fear into you about living for Jesus. Come on, you're in church. You're already living for Jesus. But maybe you know someone that doesn't. And you could have a conversation with them. And maybe you could talk to them about some end time things and the hope of the rapture. And they might be interested because this is not weird stuff. This is daily news stuff. The statue that Daniel prophesied about, I mentioned, had the two legs of the two divisions of Rome. Europe and the Middle East. Today, that is Rome and Mecca. And we really need to consider what's happening in our world today with the Catholic Church and its alignment with Islam. This should wake somebody up. There are things happening in our world that could never be considered possible that Rome and Mecca would have things in common. You better talk to this Pope. Then the European Union, the ten nations, the ten toes, the old Rome has come back as the EEC. But look at what they put on their, I'm sorry, I got to go back. 
That was quick. Look at what they put on their money. A woman riding a beast. Who does this stuff? I mean, you can't make this up. There it is, the symbolism, right out of the book of Revelation. And you can find that girl and that beast throughout Europe. And they're proud of it. But then in our country, we're starting to put up statues of Satan, where there used to be Ten Commandments. Where are we going in our world today? Islam. Islam is very much in revival. This is Mecca. If you have not gone online and looked at the construction that is going on in Mecca and how it is grown, does anybody know the company that has done this largest construction project in the world? You know what the name of that construction company is? Anybody, anybody know? It's called the Bin Laden Group. Think about that. The Bin Laden Group. The family of Osama Bin Laden. Why was he involved in taking down the World Trade Towers? It's, it's all in the Bible. I wish we had time. We've got to move on. These are the things that when you see them coming to pass, know that this is the generation. This is the only generation that has seen some of these things. Technology. That's the new Amazon headquarters going up. The Tower of Babel. It's interesting that they would choose that symbolism. But then when you read Revelation 13 concerning the mark that people are going to take that they can't buy or sell. It's all about economics. It's all about marketing. It's all about control. They're going to get people right where they consume. And the mark of the beast is very much coming our way with technology, with the cameras, with the, the surveillance, with the AI, with the ability to track every detail of your life if Adolf Hitler had the technology that we have today, who would have thought that you would be able to give to every person in the world a device that would keep track of their every thought, interest, and location? Cell phone. I mean, seriously, we've, we've given away our, 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 our freedoms. Now, trust me, I have a cell phone. But do you realize the power that we have put in the hands of those that seek to control every detail of your life? I go online and I look for the price of tomatoes. And I go to Facebook and it's telling me where I can get tomatoes immediately. Wow. I mean, I, I could go into this, but that's not the kind of teacher I am. But there's so much things in our generation, this generation. But it says in Daniel chapter 8, In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. This is the Antichrist. 
And his power shall be mighty. And not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully. And shall prosper and practice. And shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And that's Israel. He's going to destroy the nation of Israel. He's going to send them again into hiding. The woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet, the 12 stars of the 12 tribes of Israel. It says that she is going to flee into the wilderness during the tribulation period because the Antichrist hates Israel. And through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He will also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Daniel says, the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told, is true. Wherefore, shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. When Daniel received this, he was told, this is for a long time from now. Don't you worry about it. It's for us. You worry about it. I, Daniel, fainted, and I was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up, did the king's business. I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. So that's what's going to be going on in this world while we're up in heaven. Boy, this is, you talk about a, a gloomy damper. You know, we're talking about gathering around the lion of the tribe of Judah and all of that happy stuff, and now we see what's happening in our world, and we know it. We just, everybody knows it. There's no secret. Everyone knows something's going to happen. We're going down a path. You know, even the experts are saying, like, with things with AI, do we know what we're getting ourselves into? Do we know what we're setting ourselves up for? How are you going to avoid the consequences of this type of a society if it gets into the hands of the wrong people? It's not good. It's not good at all because there are wrong people out there. But then, what does it mean to be taken? Jesus tells the same story to two different groups of people with two different endings to the story. I want to take a look at Matthew, and I want to take a look at Luke. And again, in Matthew, it's that discussion he had with his disciples outside the temple. Then shall two be in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. One shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. There's going to be a time and a moment when maybe you're not expecting it, maybe tonight, maybe next month, maybe next year, I don't do that kind of predicting. But the trumpet's going to sound, and there's going to be two in the field. One's going to be taken. There's going to be two here. One's going to be taken. I want to be that one. But what does it mean to be taken? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what was it like in the days of Noah? Well, the sinners were destroyed by the flood. 
We know that. In the days of Noah, they all drowned. Their cities were destroyed. But what was it like in the days of Noah? Well, Noah was saved by the flood. The thing that destroyed the wicked saved the righteous. And the simple advice I have is get into the ark. The difference between the lost and the saved was a decision of whether or not they're going to get into the ark. It's that simple. Get in to the ark. Peter says it like this. God waited patiently in the days that Noah was building the boat. Few people in the boat, eight in all, were saved by the water. Wow, when you think about that, the water that flooded the earth, that killed off the entire population, saved them. They were saved by the water, which was a symbol pointing to baptism, which now saves you. Now, I didn't write that. The United Pentecostal Church didn't write that. The Apostle Peter that was given the keys to the kingdom that preached on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. He wrote that. And he said that just like in the days of Noah, water is involved. Water is involved. You say, I don't want to go the water way. You better talk to Noah. You need water, Noah. You need a lot of water. You got to go the water way. It's not the washing off of the bodily dirt, but the promise made to God from a good conscience. It saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of symbolism in baptism. In another place, salvation is likened unto a marriage. There's a lot of symbolism. In a marriage, a man and a woman come before a crowd of witnesses. They make their vows. And they're sealed with commitment. And therefore, they are man and wife. And you say, oh, but we don't need all of that. Well, you're describing living in sin then. Then you're talking about living in sin, right? Marriage is a type, we have the bride of Christ, of salvation. There's a lot of symbolism in baptism. You get into the ark, and the waters come, and it raises you up out of the judgment. And you say, well, I don't want to go that way. Oh, you want to die. That, there's only two choices in the story, I'm sorry. Either you're in the boat and the water saves you, or you're in the water and you drowned. Choose this day whom you will serve. The water as a means of separation. It removed Noah from a sinful world. It protected Noah from the judgment. And so we see that flood. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. One shall be taken. And the other left. That's what we read in Matthew. Jesus tells the same story in Luke. 
But he says, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In one instance, the flood came and took them all. In the other instance, when he tells the story, the flood came and destroyed them all. What's the difference between those that got destroyed and those that got taken? What side of the hull of the boat are you on? The distance of that much determined saved or lost. The thickness of the boat is what got them from being destroyed to where he took them. And the word in the Greek for took is perlambano. And it means taken into the kingdom. The flood came and it took them. Baptized in the name of Jesus and raised up into a newness of life and it takes us. I'll go that route. I'll go that route. Okay. It's all Greek to me. I gave you a Greek word, perlambano. I want to talk about another Greek word. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes it may be best not to translate a word into another language. That's called transliteration. Untranslated words in the English Bible. Did you know that your Bible has words that were never translated? Yeah. Angel has never been translated. It comes from the Greek angelos, which literally means messenger or envoy. Apostille, we pronounce it apostle, but it's apostille. It comes from apostilos, and it means one who is sent. It's a combination of two words, apple and steel, which means go and do. The APO is go. Baptism comes from baptisma, and it means immersion. Christ comes from Christos, and it means anointed. Deacon comes from diakonos, and it means servant. Epistille, or we pronounce it epistle, comes from epistille, and it means letter. These are words that we learn, and we think they're English, but they're not. They're Greek. They just never got translated, and there's a reason for that. Transliterated words in the Bible. A transliterated word may not be used, or may be used if a translator does not want to use the accepted definition. Why would the translator choose to write baptism instead of immersion? It's because all the churches were sprinkling. And the leaders of the church said, when you translate that into English, why don't you just leave that word in the Greek? Because if you translate it, immerse in the name of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a lot of questions. And we don't want those questions asked by the members of the church. We'd prefer they don't even read the Bible in English. Wycliffe, who translated the first Bible into English, was burned at the stake. We prefer you don't read the Bible in your own language. But we'll try our best to cover up some important teaching by just leaving it in the Greek. 
The risk of a transliteration is the reader can pour into the transliterated term whatever definition they desire, and often it can take on new meaning over time. Baptism, for many, now means Christian. Whatever Christian means. <laughs> and so, when we don't have that Greek word put into our language, we don't really know what it means. And so we create a whole new meaning for that word. Apostasia is a transliterated word that is used as a loan word from Greek into English. A loan word is a word that comes from one language and it is used in another language. There's a lot of loan words in English. My wife's from Indonesia. Indonesian is filled with loan words from the Arabic language because the Arabs colonized Indonesia 1,500 years ago. Indonesian is filled with Dutch words because the Dutch colonized Indonesia for 400 years. English has a lot of loan words. Apostasia is a loan word that came into the English language because of Bible translation. Just like baptism is a loan word that came into the English language because of Bible translation. Apostasia has a current usage and meaning that does not fit the ancient definition of departure. The word simply means departure. If you go to the airport, you're going to see two signs. One says arrivals, and the other one says departure. But you know as well as I do that the word departure by itself is lacking something. Going where? The word by itself doesn't tell you where. It just says you're going. Departure by itself simply means going. Going home. Going to the store. Going to church. You need to add that in the sentence. Apostasia by itself requires an additional set of information. For modern English speakers, apostasy has come to mean departing from faith. But the word faith isn't there. It's not there. It's simply departing. And so it becomes translated falling away. But apostasia doesn't mean falling. The away is correct, but there's no falling. The departure is correct, but there's no departure from the faith. But it has become that simply down through the years. So let's take a look at Thessalonians. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled either by spirit or by word nor by letter as from us is that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Okay, there it is. And it's apostasia. I've heard so much weird teaching on that falling away. 
When did that falling away happen? They say, well, the Roman Catholic Church, 1,500 years ago. And so Jesus can't come until the Roman Catholic Church fell away 1,500 years ago? That's a long time. Or they'll say, well, there's going to be a great backsliding before Jesus comes. Well, I thought there was going to be a big revival before Jesus comes. Well, there's going to be a revival and a backsliding. How, how, how do you want to do this? But the Bible simply says there's going to be an apostasia first. And after the apostasia, then the Antichrist can come to power. Who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Antichrist is going to take control after a departure. But we studied yesterday that the Antichrist can't take control because he's restrained by the church. But what's this departure all about? But that's what it means. He can't take control until there be a departure. So let's read it like this and see what the context of Paul's writing is. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering together unto him, let no man deceive you by any means, for the day shall not come except there come a departure first, the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, for the mystery of iniquity already works, only he who now letteth or restrains will continue to restrain until he be taken out of the way, and then... Well, that fits perfect. The departure is the church leaving. But who's going to mess with the Bible like that? I mean, do I have any right to even say these things? Let's take a look at Bible translations. I get to use the button. These are the original manuscripts. These are early copies. There's thousands of early copies that have been found in their own museums. Copies of the Bible that were in Egypt and in Mesopotamia and throughout Israel. Then you've got ancient copies. The first translation into Latin happened 400 years after the Bible was written. It went from the Greek into Latin. And the Catholic Church used that Latin translation by a man named Jerome all the way up until the 1600s. John Wycliffe wanted to translate it into English. He was burned at the stake. Tyndale, everyone that studies the history of the church knows about, he's a, hero, he's a hero of the church. Tyndale, Cloverdale, the Matthews Bible, the Great Bible, the Geneva Bible. Every one of these translated that word departure. Only when the Bishop's Bible was translated, and the King James, did they use the word falling away? Look at this. All of these Bibles, including the Latin Vulgate, for 1,500 years, the word in the Bible was departure. So we're taking a look at in Brown. Who translated this? into falling away. The Bishop's Bible in 1568 and the King James Bible in 1611. 
why did the pilgrims come to America from England when James was king? Have you ever asked that question when you're in your history class and they're talking about the pilgrims that are being persecuted for their faith and they're being killed because they would not accept the newest translation of the Bible? King James was killing pilgrims in England because they would not accept that translation of the Bible. And so the pilgrims and the Mayflower, they came to a land for freedom, and they brought the Bible. And that Bible that they had, they used in America, down through history. And it's the Geneva Bible, not the King James Bible. I happen to have in my library a Geneva Bible. It's translated in 1599. And it says here that you be not so suddenly moved, mind or troubled either by spirit or word from us, letter that from us as though the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a departing first. It's right there. And it was there for 1,500 years. This is important because what happened in a translation, and there's good translations of the Bible. And the King James is a wonderful translation of the Bible. But they made a mistake in a translation. Well, good news for modern man's got things I don't like too. I don't lose my faith over translations. But get, let me give you a little history. There was a conflict between the Pope and England, Henry VIII, all of these things. There was conflict going back and forth. And on the continent of Europe, a guy by the name of Martin Luther came along and he caused the Reformation where they pulled away from the Catholic Church. And he had some good theology and he had some bad theology. His bad theology is he said that the Pope is the Antichrist. Well, I don't care for the Pope, but he wasn't the Antichrist. He died and he's gone. But Martin Luther translated the Bible into German. This was before it was translated into English. And when he got to that verse, it says, There shall not come that day except there be, you know what he translated that? Kitchen waste, garbage. It's there. He translated it as garbage, and it was a shot at the Pope. And so the Catholic Church decided after 1,500 years they were going to retranslate their Bible into English. And they translated, and they said, There shall not be that day except there be a rebellion. And they were taking a shot at the Reformation. And so King James then wanted to translate the Bible into English. And when he got to that verse, he translated it falling away as a shot at the Pope. I understand what they were doing. But you know what they took away from the church? The one verse that tells us where the rapture takes place. And it's still there because we are not dependent upon translations. We still have the Greek 
and we still have 1,500 years of great translations. I hope I didn't destroy anybody's faith in the King James. <laughs> but understand, this is important. Finally, and I'm getting, I'm winding down here. Understanding the trumpets in Scripture, who blows the last trumpet and when? It says in Joshua chapter 6, And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. This is found also in the book of Revelation where seven trumpets are given to seven angels. And the typology is found right here in the book of Joshua. And it says in Samuel, David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet is sounded under certain circumstances, it has to do with the ark of the covenant. Let's take a look here. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And what is the purpose of those trumpets? Well, let's just read it. The seventh angel sounded great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell before their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art, which was, and is to come, because you have taken unto thee great power and reigned. And the nations were angry, and the wrath has come, the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto the servants, the prophets, the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them that destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. These trumpets have to do with judgment. They don't have to do with the rapture. This is judgment. These are not trumpets of gathering or assembly. These are trumpets of judgment. But let's take a look at other places in the Bible. It says, and if they blow but with one trumpet, not seven, one trumpet, then the princes which are heads of the thousands of Israel shall gather themselves unto thee. The trumpets were a means of communication in the Bible. And if we understand what the trumpets meant and what different types of trumpets indicated, it's all so clear. Trumpets that have to do with the ark are trumpets of judgment, trumpets of victory. But trumpets of gathering is a single trumpet. Declare ye in Judah, publish in Jerusalem, say, blow ye the trumpet in the land, Cry, gather together, say, assemble yourselves. Let us go into the defensed cities. When it's time to go into the place of protection, the trumpet, the single trumpet is blown. The Jews understood that. It says in Isaiah 27, it shall come to pass at that day that the great trumpet shall be blown and they shall come as they were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, the outcasts of the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. The sound of the great trumpet indicates gather. And so what does the Bible tell us about that single trumpet blast? 
the people are going to gather at the trumpet. It says in Zechariah 9.14, the Lord shall be seen over them. His arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with whirlwind of the south. In the book of Revelation, an angel blows the trumpets. But the Bible tells us that great trumpet will be blown by none other than Jesus Christ. Does the Bible indicate this anywhere else? Well, I didn't tell you. The trumpet of gathering after the harvest in the Old Testament ceremonies, when the harvest is done, the trumpet is blown and the people leave the fields. The work is done. Who blows that trumpet? The high priest. Who is our high priest? Jesus Christ is our high priest. And so let's see what the Bible says. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall rise incorruptible, we shall be changed. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the angel, archangel, and the trump of God. Who's got the trumpet? God's got the trumpet. Is he carrying that for an angel? I think not. God himself blows this trumpet. Christ is our high priest, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we're going to finish with this. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And we've already seen this slide. The blessed hope, the glorious appearing, and in between, that horrible tribulation. And know the difference between coming for or returning with. Enoch prophesied of this. We read it in Jude 14. Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh, coming with. The Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. One of the very first prophecies in the Bible says what I've been trying to say for the last two nights. We're going to be with him coming out of heaven when he returns. And I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen. That's us. And he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called chosen, and faithful. Can I encourage you? Be in that group. Be in that group. God is calling. God is choosing. Be faithful. Amen. Why don't we stand together? Brother Berglund mentioned that
timeline between Revelation 1 and 4. You've heard this in, in chapter 2 over many times. It says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Can we pray that our ear would hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? Lord, in your name, Jesus, let my ear be attuned, God, to your word and the truth of your word, to the sound of your voice, Lord Jesus. God, you're speaking to us even this moment. You're speaking to us, God, even right now, tonight. God, I want my ear to hear from you. God, I want my spirit to be in tune, God, and aligned with your message of truth, God. It is a message of hope, Lord Jesus. It's a message of redemption, Lord God. It's a message of repentance, God, and turning towards you. Jesus, I'm listening, God, for the sound of your voice. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, yes, God, anoint these ears, Lord Jesus. Anoint these minds, Lord God. We pray it tonight, Lord Jesus. We pray it tonight, Lord Jesus. God, I've got to be focused on that which is true. I've got to be focused on that which really matters, Lord God. Lord, I'm not looking far off into the future, but this is the day of salvation. This is the time that you have ordained. God, you've ordained this time from the beginning, and you've brought us each to this point, God, to this day, for this time, for this hour, Lord Jesus. God, you've put us all in your kingdom here for this time, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, let us hear your voice. Let us hear your voice in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen, hear me. Thank you, Brother Berglund, for walking us through the word, amen, aren't you thankful for the word of God, so clear. Sometimes we just read over stuff, don't we? Has this ministered to you the last two nights? Have you had scriptures come alive to you? Is now Paul said in Thessalonians, and, and I'm going to finish. Don't worry, I'm not getting ready to preach a sermon. Paul said in Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord, writing to the church, he said, comfort one another. With these words. The return of the Lord. Is comforting. To those that have repented of their sins. Been baptized in Jesus name for the remission of sins. And who have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
evidenced by speaking in other tongues as he gives the utterance. His return is comfort. Now it's comfort to us, but it's fearful to a lost and dying world. And so while we comfort one another with these words, we have a responsibility to go and tell them. We are Noah in this generation. We are Noah. We go and say, you got to get in the ark. You got to get in the ark. Let me show you how to get in the ark. Brother Berglund said it, you got to go the waterway. We used to sing a song when I was younger. Through the waterway, it is the life today, baptized in Jesus' name. Young and old, repent of all your sin, and the Holy Ghost will enter in. Evening time has come. Tis a fact that God and Christ are one. I don't want to just gain knowledge these last two nights. I want to be compelled by the word of God. We have this blessed hope and we're waiting for it. But I want to work while it's day. Amen. We lift our hands before we go tonight, and would you express to the Lord, Lord, here I am. If there's anything in my spirit that would hinder me or keep me from being in the ark, I trust you to reveal it. But I thank you for your blood that is washed and remitted sin when it was applied through the waters of baptism. I thank you for the indwelling of your spirit. I pray, Lord, let us go and speak the word of God, the truth. Let us speak the truth in love. Let us show people the way unto you. Let us reach into our city. Let us reach into our workplace. Let us reach into our community with this precious, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, let me prioritize my life in agreement with your word and this which we've heard, that your return is very, very soon. Let me prioritize my life accordingly. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We praise you, God. We give you the glory. Everybody said amen. Thank you, Brother Berglund, so very, very much. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. If someone brought you, get connected to them. We're so glad you're here. If there are some able-bodied young men, middle-aged men, older men that want to help us, if we could see you right up here in the altar area, we can give you some quick instruction and we can make light work.